If we were going to make a t-shirt for the Bless Up podcast, I would want it to be the two of you. Chuck Norris like, listens to no, the Bless the Up podcast. No, the two of you looking like Walker, Texas Ranger with the Bless Up podcast written like the Walker, Texas Ranger. Fine, but you get uh, your... Uh, I want to be a facepalm on the back. You have to be Trivet. <laughs> You're Trivet. You're Trivet. <laughs> You're Trivet. I want to be Trivet. I'm going to get beat up. <laughs> You're Trivet. I'm going to get beat up. Trivet, Trivet. Uh, this is the absurd journey of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are here for season two of the Bless Up Podcast. We are back. Uh, I'm Rachel. I'm here with Corey and James, and we are so excited <laughs> to be. I'm, I would say back together, but we see each other a lot. But back on the mic. Back. Are we back. Are we back. <laughs> yes. All right. So listen, we're, we're going we're gonna to start out with a question, just like we did last <laughs> season. And listen, I want to know, what is something that you used to think meant one thing, but when you got older, you realized it was something? Um, I grew up in the super, super apostolic uh, Pentecostal black church that there, there's no other way to say it. Like, uh, I'm talking like hats, altar calls, Tarian service. For those of you who don't know what Tarian service is, it's when you come to the front and you basically just say Jesus real fast until you speak in tongues. That's, that's literally what happens in the Tarian services, but all that like missionary services, YPWW youth services. I was in church, Four or five times a week. I started playing three sports in middle school just so I didn't have to go to church all the time. Like that's literally was the was the vibe of where I came from, and God bless it informs me today. But we would have prayer before praise and testimony service started. And like every week in prayer, they would get to the end of prayer and someone would say, Hey, we gotta pray for the bereaved family. And after years of hearing every single week and every no. single service, <laughs> we got to pray for the bereaved family. No. I thought to myself one no. day, I was like, yo, I was like, they be going through it. I was like, <laughs> I was like somebody must always be dying. Like the bereaved family is just like always they, they got something going on. So I went to my grandma and I was like, yo. I was like, who's the bereaved family? No. I was like, are they here? I was like, we might need to do something. Oh, help because my whole life, every week, we pray for the bereaved family. And my grandma was like, shut up, boy. <laughs> bereaved bereave means they're going through it. She's like, it's hypothetical. They're not no family. And I just like, my whole life as a kid, I was like, dang. Every week, somebody, dang. Something's up. We're always praying for the bereaved family. But oh my God. The bereaved family was, was not a literal family. Yeah. That's Bill. Bill, Bill Bereave. <laughs> I, I didn't know, bro. Bill and Donna. The bereaved family. The bereaved family. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, okay, well, I'll say um, when I was a kid, I loved. The movie Grease. Mm -hmm. I love the movie Grease. My cousins and I used to dance. Like, we would go to family reunions and play that soundtrack. And then when they did, like, the um, 
the sing-along and stuff. I forget what anniversary of the movie it was, but, um, like, we did that, and, like, we went to the movie theater and saw it and all this stuff. Then I watched that movie (laughs) as an adult. It's nasty. I finished watching it, and I called my mother, and then I called my aunt, and I was like, what were you doing letting us watch this movie? And my mom just starts cracking up, and she's like, guys didn't understand any of it and i'm like mom i mean it's one of those things like i probably hadn't watched it since i was in like middle school but then it was on tv and i'm like oh let me watch grease i and i could not believe believe the things in that movie and the fact that i watched it and danced to it, it was like like our dance recitals i mean everything the movie grease that is not a children's movie yes grease lightning yeah yeah one car you know what i'm saying it's not about cars it's not yikes you think it is but it's, it's definitely not. not. I watched it like I watched it thinking this is like my generation's high school musical. It is not. No. And that is not Zach it and Gabrielle not. or what musical yeah. is wholesome. <laughs> Jesus will watch that. I don't know about Chris. <laughs> I don't know about Chris. Yeah. No, that was a totally different experience as an adult. Yikes. Um I remember I remember my last semester uh at the University of Akron taking taking a class um a class it was something i forget the exact title but it was something to the extent of like critical reading and writing and i remember one of our reading assignments um this professor like intentionally assigned us readings that i think like he intentionally assigned them uh, assigned us books that we thought were familiar right so i remember i remember being assigned to read frankenstein well dude like frankenstein growing up was a cartoon right this big this big green square with bolts sticking out of his neck and lines on his forehead and black hair and you know like that was that that was frankenstein that is not that is not what frankenstein is about and i remember reading this like i remember at first being like dude are we really about to read like frankenstein and why is this book so thick like how long can we go on about this big green monster and then i remember reading it and being like oh my gosh like this is not the story i thought i knew first of all frankenstein was the name of the scientist the Mm -hmm. monster's name was the monster and i was like what on earth is going on and we did that with several uh with several stories one of them being like Hansel and Gretel and like all these all these sort of yeah. things like, yo, like that is not at all the cartoon that I grew up watching. And I just remember being in utter amazement uh, as a sophomore in college that I was, you know, 20, 19 or 20 years old, just now learning that these cartoons I had grown up watching were all lies. They were all lies. It blew my mind. Mm hmm. Yeah, Hansel and Gretel is crazy. Yeah. The original story. It's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Have you read any of the Mother Goose nursery rhymes with your with your children as adults? I mean, you know the answer to that. <laughs> They're so messed up. Yeah. They're yeah. so messed up. Oh, my gosh. I cannot believe that, like, those were songs and things that we, like, heard and thought nothing of. And then I started reading them with our kids, and I'm like, hey, that mommy's going to hide this book. 
Yeah, we're gonna put this what's away. the what's the what's the one that where you all join hands and start going in a circle? Ring around the rosy. Ring around the rosy. Yeah, ring around the rosy. Ring around the rosy. Pocket full. Yeah, like that's yeah. that's about like tragic stuff, dude. Yeah, the play. Yikes! It's dark. We all fall down and die. <laughs> yeah, like and die. Then the reason your pockets were full of posies was so that you had a better fragrance than the stench of the plague. Correct, like, dude. What? Yeah. So I don't think uh, I, I don't think it it is any exception when all of us started studying scripture. Oh, absolutely. And came to the same conclusions of like things that we thought something meant. And then absolutely. as we started reading and, and learning and diving in and no longer just casually skimming scripture, but diving into it, like it's wild how different it actually is. I remember, I remember the first day as, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was literally in my twenties. Uh, I remember the first day that I ever read uh, the part of the Bible where David slings a stone hits goliath goliath falls but then i kept reading for the right. first time ever right like david walks up to 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 goliath cuts his head <laughs> off puts it on the end of his sword and like sticks it up in the air yeah. like as an example of like yo like i'm here let's put and that was, on the cover of veggie tales whoa right, <laughs> right. like bro like yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. So what's the what's what what is the passage? Uh, what is the passage that I think that one of the things that we talk about uh, a lot at Third Street is is a lot of us who preach on Sundays will say use the phrase the dangers of casual reading, right? The dangers of just kind of walking into Scripture, not really knowing anything, and just picking a passage and just you know like reading it for <clears throat> for surface value. What's the passage that you often uh, see or hear misunderstood, or maybe you uh, misunderstood it, and when you came to a true realization of what it meant, it was like genuinely like... I mean, anyone who has sat in any class that I have ever taught uh, has heard me go in on Proverbs 31, because Proverbs 31 is possibly the most drastically misused scripture regarding women. I'm not willing to say the most because there's some New Testament ones that are equally as misused. Um, but Proverbs 31 has become a whole train wreck in 21st century Christianity because we love to read it and start in verse 10. But it starts in verse 1. The original audience of Proverbs 31 is not even women. The original audience of Proverbs 31 is a young man who's about to be king, who's listening to his mother, and his mother is is telling him how to be a good king. Like, hey, don't get drunk. Hey, be a good leader. Hey, speak up for the people in your kingdom. Stand up for the people in your kingdom who are being misused and, and who are being misrepresented and who are being abused by society. Be a king who stands up for them. Oh, and by the way, here's everything that also women can add. And I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that she goes from talking about mistreated people to talking about women. Let's not act like that's any sort of coincidence. And then she goes off on all of the things that women can do. She's not making a checklist of like, hey, your future wife needs to hit X, Y, and Z, all of these boxes. She's not doing any of that. 
And I don't think it's any coincidence as well that we know that King Lemuel, who's the one that she was talking to, was a good friend of Solomon. And Solomon was known for his obsession with women and his literal thousands of wives. And she's saying, hey, don't be like your friends and objectify women and take and take a thousand women as your wives and, and don't look at women only for their physical attributes. But here's the million things that women can do. But yet today... We have made it this thing of like, oh, you want to find a husband, be able to do all of these things. And then like, it's literally impossible. It's impossible for a woman to do all of these things. Proverbs 31 is a celebration of who women collectively are, not a checklist of who women should be. And it wasn't even written to women. It was originally memorized by men who then at the Shabbat dinner would stand up and recite it over their wives as a celebration. So imagine how differently men today would look at women if they were forced to memorize Proverbs 31 instead of me. How different would men look at women if every time they looked at a woman, what they thought in their mind is all of the things she was capable of and how amazingly she was created and all of the things that she brings to the table, how different would women be treated if that's what happened? Absolutely. I'm probably jumping the gun a little bit here, but what you're talking about is so important. Cultural context is so incredibly important. The reality is like, the whole movement that told us that the Bible was a 66-book love letter that was written to us, that's wrong and it's a lie. The Bible's not written mm -hmm. to us, but the Bible's written for us. The Bible was written to, like, the original person it was intended to be written to. Mm -hmm. So the book of Ephesians was not written to me in 21st century America. The book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus in the first century. Hence the name. Like, hence the name Ephesians. <laughs> So when you think about cultural context, it's hard because there's a whole ton that goes into it. You have to enter the world of the text versus bringing in your world into the text or reading your experience into the text. A passage that like blew up my head was like, it's in Revelation chapter three, <laughs> the church it. at Laodicea, mm. right? Yep. So yep. like John is going to tell them like, hey, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Yes. If you're lukewarm, the Lord's going to spew you out of his mouth. And growing up, that for me was like, yeah, you need to be hot. You need to be like on fire for Jesus. On fire for Jesus. If you're yes. not on fire for Jesus, like you're going to get your Christian tees and your, and all your of Christian it. CDs. Right. The Reese's shirt that says Jesus instead of Reese's. Which I wore at Malone in 2009. <laughs> Jesus, help me. I didn't even know that. I had that Jesus shirt. I got it from Berean Bookstore. <laughs> Lord, oh, not from Alive. I feel like most people got it from Alive. No, I ain't go to Alive till later. I ain't go to Alive till later. But they got plenty of shirts like that there. But, uh, yeah, so it blew up my head when I realized that that text is not actually saying, like, if you're cold, you're going to be spewed out of the, the mouth of Jesus. What that text is actually saying is, hey, this place, Laodicea, is located in the middle of a mountain. Mm -hmm. On the top of that mountain, the water at the top was really cool and it was really refreshing. Yep. At the bottom of the mountain, there were warm springs that people would come to for healing. Laodicea was in the middle. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, the water, when it would get to them, it wouldn't be hot or cold, but it would be lukewarm. 
and they were known for having this gross, lukewarm water. So what John is saying to them is, hey, I would rather you be a cool, refreshing drink or I would rather you provide healing to the people around you. Mm -hmm. If you're like the water in the place that you're at, that water is no good. The Lord is going to spew you out mm -hmm. if you are not doing the good works of Jesus. The whole Bible points to the fact that God doesn't want anyone to be cold. Why right. would God want anyone to go to hell? That is not the intention of the Jesus of the Bible. He would have it that all people would be saved per John chapter 3, verse 16. He would have it that all would be saved, mm -hmm. that all would make the choice to bow their knee to Jesus. And like when that hit me, I was like, dang. And it opened up to me a new dimension of the love of God, mm -hmm. like that love that conquers all things. It made me view God in a different way. And that came from knowing the cultural context. Yeah, that that passage is one of my absolute favorites in Revelation. <laughs> and the thing that like blew my mind, too, in studying that was that there was a specific bacteria that couldn't grow in the cool water. And it couldn't grow in the hot water because it would get boiled out. But it it went wild in the lukewarm because it was this space that that wasn't either thing. And it was like being being that lukewarm water and being that eh, like it allowed for it allowed for bacteria to grow and multiply and take over and to make people actually ill because it was it was neither. I don't know if I'm communicating that well, no. but like, no, that's it. It was it, that was that is such a fascinating. That's such a great example. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and to read casually, you just read over that. Mm -hmm. You run over that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You don't get the beauty and depth that's there for yeah. To make us closer to Jesus, but to also help us live as more formed Christians. The uh, <clears throat> my go-to. My go-to, the, the passage that I always point out as, as the dangers of casual casual reading is in Jeremiah 29. I mean, how many places have Verse we gone? 11? Yes. How many places have we gone? How many, <laughs> how many graduation cards have we signed? How many tattoos have we read upside down or side to side <laughs> of Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, so on and so forth. And the appropriate, read into the appropriate context of the passage, you'll understand that Jeremiah is talking to a group of exiles. Sorry, let me break that down another way. Jeremiah is speaking to a group of people who have been forcibly removed from their homes, whose culture has been bastardized, who have been, who have been forced to live in slavery to a country that they do not like or love or appreciate. And they are crying out desperately, wondering what in the world did we do to possibly deserve such treatment and when will the lord restore us because they still even though they didn't behave as such prior to exile and really even while living in exile they still recognize themselves as god's people they still recognize themselves as a people who god says their story will be redeemed and so they wonder out loud most often when will god redeem our story and the appropriate context of jeremiah 29 and jeremiah as a book of uh, as a whole will show you that this is not a very comforting message to your casual uh, person in that Jeremiah is not saying like 
someday you, you specifically who are crying out will be prosperous. Actually, he's saying, be, get, get used to where you're at. Get used to this situation. Go ahead and dig deep roots. Have kids. Build houses. Marry off your kids. Have your kids have kids because you're going to be in this for a minute. What verse 11 is speaking to is a much larger picture of, but God knows what he's doing and he knows how your story as a people, not yours as an individual, yours as a people, will be redeemed. And of course, on this side of things, we know what he's talking about, what he's talking about is the restoration and the redemption that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 29 11 points to not your graduation. Jeremiah 29 11 points not to your wedding. Jeremiah 29 11 points not to your inevitable business success. Jeremiah 29 11 points to Jesus. But I get it. I get it, right? It, that's difficult. It's difficult. There's a lot of uh, I think I think most of us perceive that there are a lot of steps to be able to get to that reading. There are a lot. There's this big. There's this big scary thing between us and an appropriate understanding of scripture. I think the most common thing I I get asked or I hear from people in regards to reading the Bible is like, how do I do it the the right way? How do I avoid the dangers of casual reading? I'm putting this up there because I know that you two have have lots of uh, tips and tricks uh, as to the such that are simple. Um, but I, I think that I think that that is a common uh, a common approach to scripture is that it's big, it's scary, it's easy to misunderstand, and that if I just read it casually, I'm either not going to get it, or I'm going to get it incorrectly, or overall, I just need to be shown like how the heck I should do it. So help somebody, help somebody today. Well, there, so there's a guy named Max Anders, and he wrote a book called 30 Days to Understanding the Bible, which if I'm being honest, I typically immediately reject titles like that. Right. I'm like, it's not that simple, Max Anders. <laughs> like, there's no way. But listen, if I'm being 100% honest, that is one of the first books that I read when I became a Christian because I was like, oh this man can help me understand the Bible in 30 days. And you know what? He freaking did it. Like that book is so good because what he does is he takes chapter by chapter. Every chapter takes no more than 15 minutes to read. But what he does is he, he teaches the context of scripture, but he starts by showing you a map and helping you learn when they say this land, when they say Euphrates, here's where that is. When they say Tigris, here's where that is. When they say the Garden of Eden, here's where that is. So that when you're reading scripture, you start to see a map in your head of where everything is taking place. Then he breaks down eras in scripture. And so when you read this, hey, actually this book of the Bible was happening at the same time as this book of the Bible. And there are this many chapter or this many books apart in scripture because it's laid out in this fashion. But when you read Jeremiah and you read Daniel, they actually overlap. And so it helps you start to understand the timelines and things. Honestly, like that book is one of the easiest resources to help you understand the layout of scripture, how things point to Jesus, all of that. That's just a really good resource. And for me, the way to understanding scripture is learning how to name the historical or the genre of the book. 
the author of the book. When you know the author of stuff, oh my gosh, it comes to life. When you know that Moses wrote Genesis, all of a sudden, Hagar's story is amazing when you start putting together the fact that Moses did it, and Moses grew up in Egypt, and Hagar was an Egyptian woman, and Moses would have probably learned the story of Hagar before he learned the story of Isaac. And Mm -hmm. like when you start putting together things like that, oh my gosh, scripture comes to life in a totally new way. And that that book, next to learning from the two of you how to do exegetical work on Scripture, that book helped me start to see the Bible in my head as I was reading it. Yeah, and yeah, just to undergird what Rachel was saying, tools are super important. Mm-hmm. Like, having tools that you can go to, like, if I'm trying to fix something, like, it gets to a point where, like, I can't tighten something with my fingers tight enough. Mm-hmm. And the reality of the body of Christ is there are individuals whose God is just like gifted who are able to take really big theological and really big biblical ideas and make them simple. That is Christian community at its finest. So when we find good tools, God has given us those tools to help us understand the scriptures better. So I would say like finding good tools and we will... Yeah, we will add in the comments or wherever you're listening to this at some tools that we found helpful that hopefully you'll find helpful as well. I think also it's knowing what the Bible is and what the Bible is yeah. for. Yeah. Like, yeah, the great reformer Martin Luther says the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. Hmm. The reality is like the point of the Bible is to move us closer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, My hermeneutics professor, Dr. Watson, used to always say, like, hermeneutics, which is to interpret the scripture. That's what that word simply means. Mm -hmm. He would always say it's an art, it's a science, and it's a religious experience. And if you're missing the religious experience, you've missed it all. So if it's not moving you into closer proximity to the person of Jesus, then the Bible, uh, yeah, it in and of itself is to move you closer to Jesus. That's the point of the Bible. It's the cradle where the story of Jesus is laid. And the story of Jesus is breathed on by the Holy Ghost. And it gives us the ability to become closer to him. So when we start there, we say, yeah, the Bible is incredible. But the Bible in and of itself saves no one. The Bible saves no one. We study the scripture, and it's incredible. But we study it to look and live and love more like Jesus Mm -hmm. and to be closer to Jesus. Yeah. The scripture itself, John chapter 5, is really interesting. You start in verse 38, and you go a few few verses there. The Pharisees and Sadducees are challenging Jesus, and Jesus' response to them, because they're saying that the things that he's just done, so he just raised, like, he just healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. So they're saying that the things that, he, that he's doing are ungodly, and when he did it was ungodly. Yep. Jesus' response to them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who know the text is, you search the scriptures because in them you believe you'll find eternal life. Eternal life is found in me. The, this, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is where eternal life is found. And the scriptures help us move closer there. And I think when we approach it and we say, man, like, I'm entering this inspired text by the Holy Spirit, God, like, illuminate my eyes, illuminate my heart, open me up to the text. I think that's like, that's step one. Like, 
step one before you before you hit anything is is that yeah and i think like <clears throat> i mean there's lots of there's lots of podcasts uh that are out there uh one in particular that that james you and i have been listening to lately that are that talk about the dangers of like christian and church cultures that are built on what this is these are my words not theirs like what i would consider a casual uh or misread of scripture so the fact of the matter is like as big and scary as this like can be it's really stinking important Mm -hmm. that we get it right mm -hmm. because if this is one of the ways that we have by which to understand jesus and draw closer to Jesus, it's really, really vital that we get it right. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be as complex as we make it out to be. What's the thing that, uh, what's the thing that you tell the freshmen uh, that, that you teach? You said it, you said it a little while ago and it was like really, really helpful. Like I, I hadn't, you know, like you said that simply, it was, it was really good. Yeah. We call it the hermeneutical bridge. And we try to just help our freshmen who are like just getting to know the Bible. We try to help them understand that, hey, like you're over here on one side of a bridge and the Bible's actually over here. And there's a lot. There's 2000 years mm -hmm. between you and the Bible. Yeah. And there's a chasm. And if you try to just jump, you're going to fall into the waters of misinterpretation. Yeah. Yeah. And in those waters, like. We draw a little diagram of sharks and we're like, these are things that are going to like eat you in these waters. And one is personal experience. So if you're reading the text, we read it, not bringing in our personal experience. That's not a part of interpretation, like our personal experience. The Bible is 2000 years old. It was written to specific people who are in a specific cultural context, who are in a specific time of history. Uh, if I bring in my personal experience, I'm a man in 20, a black man in 21st century America. Moses is an Israelite who grew up as an Egyptian, like that we can't like <laughs> forever. Yeah. 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 Like, so personal experience will eat you if you're only trying to bring your personal experience. And mm. that's called eisegesis, reading yourself into the text. So we talk about personal experience. We talk about language and how language is completely different. Like, for instance, in the Greek language, there's literally five meanings for the word love. Man. Mm -hmm. So if I look at love in the New Testament in one place and I apply like my singular American idea of love to it, then I've probably missed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like I've probably missed. And the same with culture. Our cultures are different. And even as we sit here, as we read the text, we bring our culture into it. Mm -hmm. So we have to look, what is the cultural context of the text? And that changes drastically as the scripture goes on, like the cultural context of what's happening. The scripture happens in different places, three different languages. Over the course of 1600 years, there's 40 different authors who are bringing their own cultures into it. So we can't bring our culture into it. Um, over familiarity. That's one that's crazy. Uh, like you read, yeah. you that's kind of like what we were saying earlier. Yeah. The, the it, passage that you've David heard a million Goliath. times, you've just accepted oh, yeah. it. David and Goliath is perfect. Yeah. Or over familiarity. My favorite one, Philippians four thirteen. <laughs> I'm a huge Tebow fan. So <laughs> oh, my no. boy Tebow, I'm, no, I'm very okay, happy. Bro. Jacksonville is like one of my second favorite teams now. Bro, I'm full, I, here's here's I'm full with Tebow. Hold bro. on, quick, hot, quick, quick, uh, quick wager. 
because I don't know when this is actually going to air. I bet by the time this episode gets released, Tim Tebow has been cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars. My counter bet. I bet he scored a touchdown by the time this episode airs. Uh, Does preseason count? (laughs) Preseason counts. Okay, okay. I'll take that bet. I bet he scored a touchdown. What's What's the wager? I don't know. I'm already down on slap bets. We'll discuss. We'll discuss off air. Yeah. Um, but, okay. Yeah, so, so Philippians four thirteen. Sorry, I had to go there real quick. But go ahead, Philippians. Right. Philippians four thirteen. Over familiarity, we hear things preached and taught a certain way a whole bunch of times. <laughs> For me, it was taught because of athletics. It was right. taught in a way that says like, yeah, I can do all. I can things do all things. I can Christ. go pro. Like I can in Christ who gives man. me strength. Man, yeah. forget the fact that I'm 5'6". <laughs> I, can, I can do it. Right? I can dunk like Mike. I can be like Christ Mike. who Christ. strengthens me in my legs. But I man, got that bounce. <laughs> this is not space What jam. Paul is talking about there, Paul is in jail. That is a prison epistle. He is chained hand and feet. When this dude says, I can do all things, what he's saying is, I can find contentment. Mm-hmm. In any of life's struggles and situations, because Christ is strengthening me and Christ yeah. is raising me up and allowing me to walk through any situation. Paul was about to die in a Roman prison. Mm-hmm. Paul wasn't on a football field. <laughs> and the reality yeah. is, like, when things become so familiar to us and we read them, what happens is we just read over them fast. And that just, like, it loses us. So we really try to help students, like, Stay out of those waters of misinterpretation. Don't let those sharks eat you. Build a bridge. And the way we teach them to build a bridge is through observation. Read slow. Observe what's happening. At least ask five questions each passage. Ask five questions and seek to answer those questions with the tools. Uh, interpretation and application. That's so good, too, because it it is glossing over... It's so easy. Do you know how long I was a Christian before I actually read Jeremiah 29 and caught on to verses 12 and 13? Oh, goodness. 12 and 13. Oh, goodness. 12 and 13. In those days when you pray, I will listen, seek uh-huh. for me wholeheartedly, and I will be found. Uh-huh. That is such a better promise. You know what I mean, right? (laughs) Like the promise is that in those days of deep, intense hardship, Mm -hmm. in those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, I will be found. Mm. I didn't find those verses forever because I had grown up seeing 2911 and i'm like yeah i got that let's i don't need to read jeremiah oh yo let's not get it let's not get it twisted i mean i mean today right before we we uh you know recorded this i'm sermon prepping for this weekend let's not let's not act like i wasn't today years old when i had new revelation about a text like you know what i'm saying like it's it's it really is like it's every time so like Mm -hmm. i i I don't want people to feel this pressure of like oh i gotta i gotta understand before i can speak on it like no i mean there are things that like i get really really focused because it's what the spirit's revealing to me at the time i get really focused about one part that the next time i come back to it i'm on a whole different part like yo did you catch this though like and now i'm gonna hit that 
part. So, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't want to like give the idea that like before we can even, you know, before we can even like appropriately do anything about the text, we've got to have this deep understanding of the text. A lot of it is based on revelation of the, from, from the Holy spirit as we read. Absolutely. But man, like, like I, 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 it is, it is a constant over and over and over. It's so good. I, I, I used to hear people saying I never understood it fully. Um, you know, until within the last few years of like preaching a lot, but it's always good to be reminded of the gospel. Yeah, <laughs> Like it's always good to be, no matter who you are, no matter how many times you've preached, it's always good to be reminded of the gospel. And I'm like, I think of that every time I go to a familiar text where I'm like, man, I've preached this text, like probably, probably six times. Like I probably just need to look through it one time and I'm ready for Sunday and just it never fails. Bam, the Spirit of God hits me with something new, and I'm like, whew, man, that is for right now. Like, that is yeah. for right now, and I'm so glad that I went back to to look at that again. Man, you're going to – I, like, if anyone's listening and they're really theologically pressed, my soteriology is tight. I know that <laughs> once you're saved, you don't get converted again. Like, uh, it's it's cool. <laughs> But, but. <laughs> I, I, genu- I genuinely believe I, I say often like I had like three like Kairos moments where like my heart was like re theologically reconverted. Mm-hmm. When I met Jesus, I learned that he was Lord and I learned that Jesus was Lord. When I was 18. Man, <laughs> when I was 22, I was sitting in a room in river tree church and i seen a dude like write some circles and some smiley faces on a whiteboard <laughs> and when he said god was for people it yeah i shifted it was a kairos moment it blew up my head it, yeah just hearing him say say that and and just yeah the, so simple it was so simple and then very very recently probably in 2017 god is like jesus it just really mm-hmm. God is like Jesus. You want to know what God is like? You know what God is like? Look yeah. at Jesus. Look at He's like Jesus, and it just it's just blown up my head. And I think I I pray that when I'm 60, if the Lord allows me to live that long, that I can say, man, like there's been all these different moments where I've learned more. Man, I I love teaching. Like I taught John Ford this summer. And I've probably taught John 4 at this point over the last decade. I've probably taught John 4, no cap, at least 50 times. Yeah. That's a low estimate. Yeah. Like, no cap. That's a yeah. low estimate. I can I can think of two occasions. No, I can think of three occasions this year I've taught that passage. Yeah. Yeah. And, man, I just new stuff was just popping out as I was reading and praying and it was just it was incredible mm-hmm. it's absolutely incredible I pray I can say that in 40 years Amen. <laughs> yeah so listen if you are with us right now listening and you feel like scripture is confusing um, every single one of us has felt that and any person who is honest with themselves and has given a good try at reading scripture will tell you the same thing. I don't care how old they are in their faith. They have been perplexed by scripture at some point in time. So in the description on this, we're going to drop some of our favorite materials 
for reading scripture. We're going to drop those tips that James mentioned about, um, you know, things to ask and things to look for when you're reading. We're going to put all those resources in the description of this episode. And so just hit like read more um, on the description tab on this episode and we'll put all that stuff in there for you. Hey, it's good to be back. We are stoked to be starting season two. Um, We'll be back with you in two weeks.